This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. All right. Hello. Hello. We're back. Hey. Today, uh, you know. What are we going to talk about today, Becca? In keeping with the very lighthearted topics we've been discussing recently, we're, we're, we're talking about rape today. Rape. I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I think this will be an interesting discussion. We watched three episodes that all involve female characters suffering a violation, like a bodily or mental violation of some kind or other. We'll be talking about how that's portrayed, whether or not the universe thinks these qualify as rape, um, and, and a lot of other stuff. So before we get in, into all that, let's uh, let's tell you all what the episodes were about. We started with Violations, which is The Next Generation, Season 5, Episode 12. It aired in February of 1992. A group of psychic aliens who specialize in memory retrieval, the Yulians, are aboard the Enterprise. The leader, Tarman, demonstrates this ability on Keiko. He tries to pressure several other crew members who all refuse, and we learn that it's taboo to do this without consent. That night, Troy is attacked by the Yulian Jev. She remembers almost hooking up with her ex, Will Riker, saying no, and then Riker turns into Jev and rapes her. She falls into a coma. The crew investigates, and as they get close to discovering its cause, first Riker, then Beverly, are also attacked and fall into comas themselves. Deanna wakes and allows Jeff to probe her memory to solve the mystery. This time, Tarman appears to be the culprit. However, Jordy, using statistical analysis, discovers that Jeff is in fact the mind rapist. Jeff manages to probe Troy one last time before he is arrested. Um, Intertractions. Keiko is in this episode and remembers her grandma doing Japanese calligraphy. Jordy, a black man, is in the background being helpful. Uh, I also have the, the summary for the next one that we watched. Uh, Voyager, Retrospect, Season 4, Episode 17, also aired in February 1998. After being admonished for punching an arms dealer named Coven in the face, Seven of Nine has a panic attack while being examined in sickbay. The doctor suspects that Seven was attacked by the arms dealer and leads her through a guided meditation to retrieve her memories against the judgment of the rest of the senior staff. Seven remembers Coven extracting nanoprobes from her arm against her will. Janeway orders an investigation. Coven is very upset. The crew believes they find proof of Seven's story, but when that proof turns out to support either Coven's guilt or innocence, the crew decides that her story is imagined. Seven is angry and feels betrayed. Voyager attempts to find Coven, who has fled, and tell him that they believe him, but he thinks it's a trap and attacks Voyager. His weapons malfunction and his ship explodes, although the viewer would be forgiven for thinking it was suicide. The doctor feels guilty, but Janeway does not allow him to delete his memory or his guilt. Seven feels, quote, preoccupied by Coben's death, and the doctor tells her to deal with it. It's never mentioned again for the rest of the series. Interjections? What's her face? Um, Bellana. Bellana. <laughs> she knew I meant Bellana because I just gestured to my forehead. Um, Bellana sticks up for Seven of Nine for punching... The arms dealer in the face at the beginning of the episode. Bolana also punched someone in the face in uh, the very first episode that featured her. So good for her for sticking up for other women. Uh, and that's all I got. Nice. Yeah, one other thing that I want to mention that I think is relevant to the discussion we'll have is that this arms dealer creeps every other member of the Voyager crew that he interacts with out as well. Yeah, no, none of them like him. None of them like him. He sucks. Anyway... Um, so in the Enterprise episode that we watched, which is called Fusion, uh, it's, uh, aired season one, episode 17 in February, 2002. The Enterprise is en route to observe the Arachnid Nebula, 
when they encounter a ship in distress that turns out to be Vulcan. When Captain Archer and T'Pol have the Vulcans over for dinner, T'Pol identifies them as the Tash Kator, Vulcans without logic. In other words, they're on a mission of exploration of their own emotions, and they are engaging in mind melds, which at this time are verboten in the Vulcan culture. T'Pol and Talaris, one of the Batash Kator, spend a lot of time together. In this time, he convinces her to forego her daily meditation. She has a creepy dream-slash-sexy nightmare involving Talaris, goes to sickbay displaying symptoms of agitation, and ultimately agrees to mind-meld with Talaris despite some misgivings. During the meld, Talaris pushes past her comfort zone and she asks him to stop repeatedly before physically shaking him off. Finally, Archer gets in a fistfight with Talaris and kicks all the Vulcans off the Enterprise. Some interjections from this episode. So despite Talaris being like overly creepy from their first interaction, Captain Archer and Dr. Phlox both work to convince T'Pol that her misgivings are all in her head and like encourage her to go hang out with him. The B-plot involves another Vulcan who has been disowned by his family but re- receives word his father is dying. Trip convinces him to reconnect with his father in order to avoid feeling one of the worst emotions, regret. Also, this Vulcan is really into learning about human sexuality. So, so here yeah. we go. <laughs> the episode that we first started talking about was this one um, from Enterprise with T'Pol, because we, as you may have heard if you were listening to this podcast sequentially, already talked about the outcome of this mind meld, um, her contracting right. uh, illness out of having been mind melded with, with Talaris. Um, Pinar syndrome. Pinar syndrome. Space AIDS. Space AIDS, right. <laughs> um, and so we were, we were like, okay, in that episode, it's emphasized heavily that she contracted the illness non-consensually and so we wanted to go back and look at that episode, um, and it is, um, it's pretty rapey. And so we were like, okay, this is an interesting um, angle to look at. Let's, let's see what other instances of um, rape-like behavior occur in the Star Trek canon, and we found these other two episodes. None of them are, I guess technically rape like it depends on what your definition is but they're not yeah. physical yeah i don't know if that was either too black and white for star trek which is supposed to deal with complicated and interesting sci-fi issues or if it was just too racy for television but yeah so seven of nine has her bodily autonomy uh compromised mm-hmm. uh troy while she's mind raped She's actually raped in during the mind rape. Like Well, yeah. Yeah, like like her mind rape is like her memory is invaded and in the invasion of her memory he has sex with her. Right. So there's that one's a bit more overtly sexual, mm-hmm. although Beverly and Riker also have this happen to them and their memories are not sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are not the focus of the episode. Yeah. Well. And then also to Paul, like, Talaris in the dream thing that it's clear that he manipulated her into having, he's present there and they get kind of sexy. I don't think... Yeah. I, it they're doesn't show both them, like, shirtless. Yeah. And they're making out. Um, I mean, he is very cute. Yeah. I, I, I might like, have some personal issues because I know that he's a mind rapist. And while I was rewatching the episode, I was like, God, but he's so hot. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Uh, but he, he's very cute in like this kind of like heroin chic kind of way. Mm. Like he has very femmy features. And uh, I, I, you know, I might, yeah. I don't blame her. <laughs> and, I, and also like what, what I identify is his like, creeper behavior in the first portion of the episode could also be construed as like flirtation or seduction or something and i don't remember if he touches her before their mind melt or not i and but i feel like he probably does he does he 
he definitely stands like very close to her and does that thing where it's like he's breathing on her and mm-hmm. is like in her personal space. Yeah. Which like the fuck? He calls up that same memory in their mind meld and then it's like super violent or graphic. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's very established at this point that like mind melds are intimate. He calls them intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in her room alone with the lights out and like a candle lit. Uh, it's a way, it's the way to get space aid. So mm-hmm. it's definitely like a sex metaphor if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then this, um, this episode with seven. So she has her nanoprobes extracted, which is, uh, like ostensibly her DNA. Kind of another form of rape is, is kind of like from a medical angle. Um, where people's bodily autonomy is violated um, without their consent. In the scene that she recalls when the doctor is working through this like memory retrieval hypnosis, it's all kind of like close in and she's breathing heavily and she's restrained Mm -hmm. and there's like things like like probes and stuff being held like really close to her face and in her body. It feels like a violation and she identifies it as such. In like that episode is super weird in that it like does not draw a conclusion about whether or not her memory is real. I mean, so there was a thing in the 90s when this episode was being written that they wanted to explore false memory syndrome, which was this concern that a psychologist using unsound methods or hypnosis were inducing false memories um, in their patients. (laughs) At the same time, there's like absolutely no reason not to believe Seven. Mm -hmm. She's clearly triggered by this man for some reason. Like she punches him in the face. Mm -hmm. She has a panic attack in sickbay, which she's never done before. And she's in there like twice a week Mm -hmm. getting, I don't know, Getting scanned and getting because like, of her board a physical stuff. whatever they need yeah. to figure out what's going on. Yeah, and like not to not to run too quickly over the false memory syndrome stuff. Like this was mostly people who were hypnotized into like supposedly recalling like childhood memories yes. much later in their life. Yes, um, and not from like earlier that week. Exactly. And in the course of the episode, they bring that up and they like they bring up this false memory syndrome thing and the doctor argues them like out of that as a possibility. Sorry, I forget exactly what he says, but basically her memory is like super recent. Right. And he, he's like, no, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, well, like, yeah. like, like that's a thing, but like, I'm not going to do it that way. Like I know the right methods, mm-hmm. which he's a very arrogant character, but we have no reason to, to think that he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He's a pro- he's a program and he's literally an expert in like everything else he tries to do. It's upsetting and so yeah, so we were looking at the history of how this episode got made. Apparently it was kind of hacked together. The the director and the writer were like in disagreement about whether or not this memory should be real. And it's like what the fuck which is like why you sort of walk away from the episode being like Wait, what? Because mm-hmm. I, I, as a viewer, well, like, this 100% happened, but no one's backing her up, and this is messed up. And so it's like, cause, it's because the script says one thing, but they film it in such a way where you're you're led down the other path. Yeah. Yeah, and it just, it, it just reinforces this really, really terrible cultural um, message that victims of rape and sexual assault are not to be believed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that they need absolute proof. Yes. We need absolute proof that this happened and that her testimony means nothing. One, because it was like a retrieved memory. And like two, because it's seven of of nine and we don't trust her. This is still the first season that she's shown up. Um, She's recently been saved Mm -hmm. from the Borg, although, you know, against her will. Yeah. And Um, she, she very recently like tried to escape back to the Borg. Yeah. Um, so there was that, like, betrayal. So she's extra in the doghouse. I think she steals a shuttle pod and, like, <laughs> tries to get back to the poor queue. She's in this position of being, like, less believable to start out with, despite 
her entirely involuntary reaction gets shot like she didn't even know she was like punching this guy in the face until after she did it yeah and then she she totally flinches when the doctor is scanning her and and these are all like trauma reactions exactly this episode is really frustrating for us because of this ambiguity that happens and then also like i mentioned before this this arms dealer rubs every member of the Voyager crew the wrong way. Yes. And when he's accused, he has an extremely overblown reaction. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, this is going to ruin my career. Uh, my culture really values trading with outsiders. So if an outsider thinks I did something bad, like even if it's proven false, it doesn't matter. The damage is done. He's, like, bagging them. Like, somehow, like, losing a little business is going to be the end of his life. Even if he's like, it doesn't matter. Like, you can't even start the investigation. And I I think this all points to guilt. Like, It feels like a super guilty behavior to me. He's like, you can't look into it because I did it. And, like, why wouldn't he have done it? He's an arms dealer. He's an arms dealer. So, of course, he wants Borg technology. That is valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and he actually... Well, doesn't he have nanoprobes? Oh, they yeah, find, they like, find... nanoprobe residue all over his yeah. foot. So they, they find the nanoprobes in his workshop or ship or whatever. And they the nanoprobes are regenerating. So at first they're like, oh, this is proof that he's been tampering with them. That he, that he took them on purpose and that he's been doing stuff to them because why are they regenerating? Mm. And then they're like, maybe they just do that. I know. Let's shoot seven in the arm again. Because, like, that's his, that's his, uh, he's like, no, she was shot in the arm by accident while mm-hmm. we were testing a weapon, mm-hmm. which also seems really implausible. And just, she released some nanoprobes, and they're just, they just happen to be all over my stuff. And so they do an experiment on Voyager where they don't shoot her in the arm, but they somehow stimulate shooting her in the arm. And those nanoprobes regenerate too, which is now the evidence that he's innocent, which, you know, okay, from a pure logic perspective and as uh, someone who unfortunately went to law school, this is not evidence that he's innocent. This is just not evidence that he's guilty. Right. Like, they think they found evidence that he's guilty and then they're like, no, this evidence is meaningless. Mm-hmm. But it does not prove that he's innocent. It right. just proves that that evidence is meaningless. Yeah. Yeah, and throughout the episode, there's this real emphasis on finding something conclusive, some way to conclusively prove that this happened, and they just don't. And so then they assume that this man is innocent versus assuming that Seven is has her valid experience and is telling the truth. And so, you know, he's believed over her, this person who has, like displayed other character traits that people find really frustrating. And I think this is, like, um, also in keeping with how Captain Archer and Dr. Phlox, um convinced to Paul that she's overreacting to her creepy right. sensors going off about Talaris. Seems to me like you've been busy avoiding them. I can understand that you might not approve of what they're trying to do, but for all we know, they're onto something. Just because they smile and eat chicken doesn't mean they've learned to master their emotions. They're not the first ones to attempt this, Captain. Others have tried to reintegrate their emotions. They all failed. What they're doing is dangerous. The bad behavior of these men is overlooked and excused and not taken into account. It's all about like an isolated incident rather than a pattern of behavior which is just rape culture all over the place i will say though that archer the moment that depaul says she was assaulted and goes to sick bay everyone believes her that's true Um, but before that this guy has been like i don't know he was I got creepy vibes. Like, no one believes his story, though. No one, when, he, when he's like, no, she participated in the mind meld willingly, like, this was an accident. Like, they don't even give any credence to that. The moment something happens to her, they are behind her. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, that is the starting point for the story on... Like, and not to discredit 
what you're saying, because I do think we should talk about that, but just contrasting how much a woman's story is believed mm-hmm. between these two episodes, Fair. like, Enterprise wins. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, I agree with that, for sure. Yeah. And, like, Janeway could have done that. Um, and they feel so guilty. They're like, oh, no, we ruined Coven's, Coven's life. We, like, caused him to kill himself, and we're terrible people, and we never should have expanded our programs. Like, the doctor learned how to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist or something and he's like this is my fault for thinking I could be something other than a medical doctor and like it's just a foregone conclusion at this point that he's innocent and he's dead Mm -hmm. and they all feel terrible about it and Mm -hmm. it's like like I understand why Seven feels bad at the end because she doesn't even say she feels guilty she's just like I'm preoccupied by what happened to him which is like even if he did rape her or I don't know, nanoprobe arm rape her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would still feel guilty if he's dead. She's Absolutely. still the proximal cause of his death. Yeah. And uh, just telling her to deal with it is not an appropriate reaction. No. Uh, even if he, th- even if, even if he thinks that she, like, oh my God, sorry. They need a ship's counselor. <sighs> Seriously, they do. And And the doctor was trying to take... The position of this ship's counselor, but, and you know, I think uh, Neelix kind of steps into that role every once in a while, or like the sounding board for people when they're dealing with interpersonal stuff. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you're right. This is a, this is a, an initial trauma compounded by the trauma of an investigation and the real guilt of being, a, you know... A direct cause of somebody's death. Not that she killed him herself. And she certainly didn't want him to die after this. She yeah. just wanted some resolution for this traumatic violation that she experienced. And it's one of the one of the really terrible things about rape and sexual assault is the um, the re-traumatization that comes when a, a survivor is telling their story and they are not believed and they're, like, ridiculed for even bringing it up or they're shunned or mm. they're dismissed or whatever it is. And that community response, like, whether somebody is believed or not, makes a massive difference in how they're going to live the rest of their life with this trauma. Yeah. And so the fact that we're never we never revisit this with Seven is also a problem because yeah. that's a traumatic memory that she's that now what? Now she's just living with it forever. Yeah, and no. And she gets the picture that she can't bring it up. Yeah. Right? Like the all these bad things happened the first time she brought it up. The doctor tells the doctor who's like her best friend on the ship and like her only ally often uh, tells her just to to suck it up and deal with it. Um, yeah, it's really shitty. And then his behavior is extremely shitty uh, because he he tells her that she will feel better when she gets justice. Mm, mm. And then as soon as he turns her back his back on her, she gets very angry and she's like, She's like, you are the one who told me that I would feel better. You are the one who told me that I should seek justice. You are the one who who helped me realize I had these memories in the first place. And she's extremely angry and feels betrayed. And they're just like, oh, but we have to look at this logically. And I'm just like, he should pick a role, yeah. right? Like, he's her advocate or he's an investigator. He can't yeah. be both. Exactly. And he barely, like, he, at least on screen he barely apologizes to her Mm -hmm. like he comes to the captain later and says like i fucked up massive and here's my proposed remedy i'm going to delete my subroutines that um make me have a desire to expand my program and and janeway's like no no no, you can't do that um we need you in the what your current form and we need you to keep expanding there's no scene in which he, you know, goes to Seven and says, like, hey, I take a lot of responsibility for what happened to you, and I'm very sorry. Yeah. 30 yeah. seconds, you yeah. know? And so... So we're really frustrated with this episode. 
Yeah, this um, episode sucks. And the other, I think the other two episodes both handle it a little bit better. Um, in the in the Next Generation episode, there is conclusive evidence. Mm-hmm. So there isn't this, like, he said, she said kind of bullshit that that's one of the reasons that rape and sexual assault cases are extremely hard to um, get into trial in the first place and then and then receive a guilty verdict because, you know, there is often not conclusive evidence, not like a third-party eyewitness, not... Um, well, it's extremely... Yeah. So two things. So one, it's it's extremely persuasive statistical evidence. Ooh. Um, mm. That there are people who have fallen into comas everywhere that the Yulians have visited. Oh, not everywhere that the Yulians have visited... Everywhere that this particular Yulian Jeb has visited. Yeah. First they're like, okay, they just look at the Yulian visits and then they isolate it to Jeb. Everywhere that Jeb has visited, there are times when um, the other two have not been there. So everywhere he has visited, people have fallen into mysterious comas or even comas that were explained by other means. So Mm -hmm. this is really strong um, evidence, but it's still circumstantial evidence it's not proof that he did it Mm. um we then he then attacks troy while she's awake Mm. so we have that proof too Mm. Worf, Worf, and data like run in and rescue her like jordy Mm. figures it out Worf and data like run to her aid but like he's also caught red-handed at the same time so like that's the definitive evidence um but it's definitely Probably enough. I don't know what the the, the legal standards are mm-hmm. in the twenty fourth century, but right. And it's we not, definitely I, it, no. It's better than some inconclusive nanoprobes. Yeah, and I don't know what the like. There's no follow up about whether or not this person gets put on trial. I think that he. They like, do say it's a very serious crime on their planet. Yeah, and so the the message is that he's gonna get taken home in shackles and like locked up or whatever but that's not that's not shown or anything and like you know in a similar way that international crime is somewhat difficult to try because jurisdiction is fuzzy like they're not running uh, a courtroom on the starship enterprise ncc 1701d like they're just not um, and so this, they, the Jovians, um, leave after, after it's revealed that this Jev, um, has, has committed this crime. And I do feel that because, because it's not as ambiguous, because it's, it's pretty well, like there's these these pieces of evidence and his behavior and, and she's, um, rescued like, well, he is physically assaulting her almost certainly she will feel less trauma over time um because it it was resolved yeah one of the things that bothers me about this episode is we don't really see the aftermath for beverly crusher or will Riker. that's true who also uh have some pretty traumatic memories uh Excavated. Bev- Beverly remembers seeing her husband's dead body while Picard is comforting her. And Will Riker remembers some kind of incident on another ship he was on um, in a battle where a decision he made led to a woman's death. They both end up in comas and they're definitely violated. Neither of us even remembered that this happened to these other two characters when we were remembering the episode. Like that's we true. rediscovered it upon rewatching it. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, and I think this this points to something interesting that um, in this kind of hashtag Me Too era that the likelihood that an individual is going to be accused or indicted or like called out as being um, a, a rapist or a sexual assault perpetrator are when they have multiple victims who all come out. Yeah. And so we're also reinforced that this person is a bad actor because he uh, commits this crime upon multiple people. Whereas in the other two episodes, it's a single victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and not 
not to say that I like that trend. Like, I think it's horrible that if a rapist only ever rapes one person, that they are a lot less likely to be believed to be a rapist than the rapist who rapes 30 people. But, you know... Yeah, and you shouldn't need 30 people to come out to believe somebody. Right. And the fact that that there seems to be this need for multiple victims to to have an individual be um, be indicted means that the that that person's victims are less likely to come forward in the first place. Mm-hmm. So they may have multiple victims and you just don't know. You're like you're never gonna yeah. know because like the one person thinks that they'll never be believed or believes that they'll be shunned by their community, which is real and definitely happens. Um, or that it was no big deal, or it was a misunderstanding, or like, blah, 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 rape apologist, bingo, our friend is working on this, look it up, it's going to go viral. (laughs) Uh, Something that you said just made me think about, um, kind of like the the, the different types of, of rapists that these three characters are. We have Jeff being a serial rapist, Mm -hmm. and... One of the reasons he is getting away with this is because they're visiting places and then they're leaving pretty quickly. Right. Um, uh, presumably, a lot of these people are waking up from the comas after they leave. Yeah. Then we have Coven, who picks a victim who has very little credibility mm-hmm. already. Mm. Uh, mm. Which is a thing in real life. Oh, that, um, that people totally happens. Talking about intersections, um, people... Uh, they, they, they pick people who are disabled, who, who are female, who are young, um, who are poor, who are prostitutes, who have something to gain from the situation. Just there are any number of reasons why uh, victims are targeted mm-hmm. who already don't have credibility. Yeah, and even just by being Borg, she's alone in that yeah. sense. Um, so not only is she the only person in possession of this technology that he wants to acquire, um, she is also an outcast in a way from, from the Voyager crew, at least at this time. No, he sees a situation that he can get away with. Yeah. You know, like if he'd showed up at season eight or something when she was a really valued member of the crew and, and people trust her up and down and she'd been there for a long time he probably wouldn't have attempted this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or it would have played out so differently oh yeah yeah uh we don't get as much of a backstory about Talaris to be like whether or not he has perpetrated this crime onto other people but at the very least he has Pinar syndrome yeah. and has passed it on to T'Pol so presumably he is um, capable of passing this on to other people, and he never, never, ever mentioned that to her. As a risk or as something that he has. Yes. And as Archer points out, he's been grooming her from the second he got on the ship. Mm-hmm. Right? He's been gaslighting. Like, never mind what the rest of the crew has been doing, but he's been gaslighting her. He takes away um, one of her tactics for emotional stability. He's like, stop meditating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And when she's feeling things, he's like, oh, it's normal to feel weird things when you start meditating. So it's like, okay, do I have bad instincts about this guy or is this me re-experiencing emotions? So he he gives her reason to doubt herself. Mm -hmm. Um, He like negs her. Yeah. It's like classic, like creepy the game. Like, what does he say? Uh... I don't remember exactly. It's just more of like the intonation where at one time he like teases her about having a sense of humor. Oh, and I love this. So he's all like, why do you live with humans? And she tells him about how she used to live in San Francisco and now she's on a human ship. And mm-hmm. he's like, uh, you must have been affected by humans more than you think because you like mint tea and this is very strong. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you're right. I also enjoy chamomile tea. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, she's she's really funny in that interaction. But it's a, it's a subtle neg where he's like, you're not as Vulcan as you used to be because you're hanging out with these humans. Right, right. And then he's like, look, there you have a human sense of humor. Which, like, I don't think she does. Spock has the same sense of humor. Like, she's developed a sense of humor, but it's very Vulcan. Yeah, this, like, habit of Spock's and, and T'Pol's of, like, saying something that is 
totally accurate and truthful about this situation, but maybe doesn't need to be said. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just so deadpan and dry where yes. it's like plausibly deniable. It's like, am I making fun of you or am I just saying something? You don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, so so with him, we have, we have somebody who's been manipulating somebody until they get them into a vulnerable situation, which right. is which is another real, I want to say trope, but... Uh, but it's a real thing that real people do. Absolutely. All right, why don't we take a break? And um, when we come back, we'll we'll wrap this up. And uh, yeah, okay. see you in a minute. Hello, Intertractional listeners. Becca here to invite you to join the San Francisco Sex Positive Democratic Club. If you are interested in advancing the ideals of sex positivity in local governance and discourse, this is the Democratic Club for you. We define sex positivity as a philosophy that all consensual sexual behavior between adults is inherently healthy. We support and work to create sex-positive public policy. We help elect qualified sex-positive candidates, especially those who are non-monogamous, kinky, sex workers, LGBTQ, and members of other alternative sexual communities, as well as their allies. We work to sensitize and educate all Democratic candidates and office holders, the Democratic Party, and the community at large to the issues and concerns of these communities. To learn more and become a member, visit sfspdc.org. You can also find more information on our Facebook page by searching San Francisco Sex Positive Democratic Club. All right, welcome back. Hello. One of the other things that I wanted to get into talking about this, um, specifically in the seven episode, is um, just the the fact of the occurrence of medical rape. Mm, mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm particularly recalling learning relatively recently that for a very long time, medical students learned how to perform pelvic exams on unconscious women who were not informed that this was going to happen. Right, like they would go under for a different surgery or different operation and they would practice pelvic exams on them and then sometimes uh, they would wake up and be sore. Mm-hmm. I think this is something that still happens. I think it does. I think it does still happen in certain locations. I think that where we are in California, and we learned about this, um, or at least I, I remember learning about this from um, a mutual friend of ours who uh, identifies as a stunt cunt. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> liter- literally, her, one of her jobs is to be a uh, demo body for people to learn how to do pelvic exams, to take, to step in and eliminate the need for, need, um, for, for medical students to learn in this very non-consensual way. Yeah. And when I, you know, when I first learned that that happened, I was horrified. It's so, I mean, it's it's so upsetting. It's extremely, it's extremely upsetting. Yeah. It's extremely upsetting. Um, And then there's like, you know, there's cases of coma patients having entire pregnancies while they're in a coma. mm -hmm. Um, And people being rendered sterile against their will without, without being asked. There's a lot of instances in which, like, medical malpractice is perpetrated onto, like, onto women's bodies. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, kind of run of the mill. Yeah, yeah. Um, Like, there's a a whole uh, legal body of, uh, of work, both in tort law and in criminal law, about, like, uh, what decisions are okay for doctors to make while somebody is in the middle of surgery versus which are not. So like if they're operating on your ear and they see something else wrong, they're, they're allowed to make a random decision during the surgery that you might not have consented to before to like fix that other problem um, that they run into in the course of surgery. What they're not allowed to do is operate on your other ear. They can't operate on the wrong ear. That's very bad. Um, And uh, I had to read a lot of cases that were like, uh, we ran into something during the surgery versus like we operated on the wrong ovary or we mm-hmm. operated on the wrong knee and like like none of that is none of that is allowed and it's like if that's not allowed why would looking at your cervix be allowed yeah yeah and it's just like it's a like the fact that this practice of um, 
you know, medical students learning how to do pelvic exams on unconscious, unwitting women being the common practice for for a very long time, it just points to how little women's bodily autonomy is respected mm-hmm. or even, like, thought of to begin with. Like, I'm sure that any of, maybe not any, but many of these medical students who are doing this, if they even stop to think about it for a minute of, like, how would how would it feel if I, like, found out that that happened to me later or something? Like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't want to carry forward with it, but they're just... You know, when you're in a culture, when you're in an environment where something is the common practice, you're a lot less likely to question it. Yeah, and and from what I understand from, like, medical training, it's so a part of the system, and it's so hierarchical, and you need the approval of everyone above you in order to advance, that they would, even if they had these thoughts, they wouldn't be allowed to voice them, and, like, voicing them could possibly uh, result in repercussions. Right, negative career outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I'm just like, I'm just horrified about this and and wanted to bring it up to, on this podcast because the the medical component um, is there and it's real. And it, you know, it ties back into the fact that that Seven had this like extreme kind of panic attack just from being, um, being not even touched by the doctor, but having a probe like near her face. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who wind up not seeking medical treatment that they need because they've been traumatized in the past in a medical environment. And it needs to stop. Yeah. <laughs> it just fucking needs to yeah, stop. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is very, it's very hard to advocate for yourself when you're sick and when you need medical help. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, and then there's, you know, then, then there's the aspect of, um, women's pain and it's like even more women of color's pain being dismissed and diminished and um, gaslit around yeah. in the medical profession. So it's just, you know, it's just another way that women are not believed from their own lived experience. Uh, I also, I wanted to briefly bring up that uh, on the topic of medical rape, that uh, this doesn't only happen to female characters in Star Trek. Um, I did not want to watch the episode where Spock's brain gets stolen because it's just so fucking weird. But if you guys <laughs> haven't watched it, like, go watch it, I guess. But um, Spock's brain is stolen. Don't worry. They find it and put him ba- it back. He doesn't die. Uh, it's pretty weird. So... There's that, and uh, there, there's also an episode where uh, Commander Riker has his DNA stolen by aliens who want to turn him into a clone. He's pretty mad and feels like his bodily autonomy is violated, but it, it's a pretty minor plot point in uh, all the other things that happened in that episode, so it didn't really fit in with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely there, um, and he's angry and does feel violated, but it's also not really treated like a rape narrative the way these other three episodes were. I have not gone back and watched either of those two episodes, but I can imagine that even the way that the scene of the scenes were filmed if they were filmed at all would have been filmed very differently so like in in these three episodes that we watched there's like there's a lot of kind of like close-up on the faces like scanning the body of the women who are are being attacked it's like it's sensualized or sexualized in a way yeah they just discover that spock doesn't have a brain that's where the episode begins kirk's like what's wrong with him and mccoy's like his brain is gone. His brain is gone. Love it, I'm right. Um, yeah, and, and the, the same thing with Will Riker, uh, his DNA is stolen off screen. Yeah. And so so here we don't even get we don't even get to see it and so it's not sensationalized in the same way and and it's it's like super often in film and television that that rape of a female character is sensationalized Mm -hmm. and when uh when a male character experiences a violation be it 
a rape or not, either that happens off camera or it is not filmed in the same way whatsoever. Yeah, and I want to... Adding to that, in all three of these episodes, this happens to the character who is the the sexy character. <laughs> like, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, who who is the... The, sex- the eye candy, I yeah, guess? Yeah, the eye candy. The sex appeal interest for the audience. Um, yeah. Yeah. Beverly, not Beverly, Troy doesn't even wear a uniform. Mm-hmm. Actually, none of them wear the uniform. Right. They're all the, the, the not wear the uniform character. Yeah. 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 That's real. Yeah, they're all the sexy character. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the, there yeah there's this underlying like titillation yeah. that is just kind of it's there in the background yeah, yeah no it's it's not Balana it's not Hoshi it's not Beverly it's like the sex appeal character mm-hmm. who is violated yeah um, so even though it's processed as the audience is on her side and it's a bad thing it's like mm, eh. right. It's uncomfortable. It, it's it's uncomfortable that they want it to happen to the sexy character. Like we're we're in on it somehow. The viewer is in on it somehow. Yeah. So you get it. You get the points that we're making here. <laughs> um, don't fucking rape anybody and believe <laughs> women when they say that they've been yeah. violated. Okay, but do we want to make a point about about media? Like which episode succeeded and which mm. failed, mm. or are they in between? I don't know. Do you have answers to that question? Um, well, the Voyager episode fails. Sure. I think the other two do a pretty good job. Uh, of at least believing the victim yeah. and, like, seeking the proper channels yeah. to resolve Yeah, it, I guess. You were saying, um, the TNG, the TNG episode sidesteps some complicated issues. The Enterprise episode gaslights her up until the point where she's raped, but then supports her. So Mm -hmm. I give them both a B. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting, perhaps, to evaluate what we think the writers were thinking. Like, we went into that in a little, in quite a bit of detail with, um, with Seven of Nine in the Voyager episode, but the question for me, whether the writers of either the Enterprise episode or the Next Generation episode would themselves have classified these as rape or rape adjacent. I think that they certainly recognize that they're violations. Yeah. The Yulians actually do call that rape. They they say that they're opposed to this form of rape. Mm-hmm. So oh, that, yeah. that's pretty clear. Oh, I'm recalling another thing that I wanted to mention about this, um, which is that... Um, you know, all of these storylines also in, in a way or other involve memory and the manipulation of memory, mm-hmm. um, which recalls to me the, uh, you know, the kind of archetypal date rape story where a man and a woman are out to dinner or at the bar or whatever, oh. and something gets slipped into her drink and she can't remember exactly what happened afterwards, but, you know, you know, rape happened yeah yeah and i think the the story that's closest to that is is the one with t'pol and talaris mm-hmm. and uh which i'm so glad you brought this up because it made me realize something that i would have regretted later that we didn't talk about um but the fact that she actually does agree to have the mind meld mm, mm, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that i've uh seen fans bring up and that they kind of skirt over in the, the next episode where they return to this issue but he talks her into having the mind meld. She then gets uncomfortable during the mind meld and wants it to stop and says no. And then he refused. So it is rape. Um, but I think this is something that, uh, while you and I like didn't even discuss it, because we're like, it's so obvious that that's rape. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is something that that's that other people might see as more complicated or less obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to be clear, if you're having sex with someone... And they say, no, stop. And you don't stop. Now it's rape. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for making that very clear. I think it is important to emphasize that over and over and over again. Because there, you know, there's this strong, strong cultural notion that once a, once a man gets going, he's can't stop. And the woman 
just has to go with it and it's her fault for getting him in that like state in the first place which is a hundred percent not true and i just you know just to bring my own sexual experience into this like i've had experiences where like suddenly i have a leg cramp or Mm. suddenly i'm in pain and like every partner i've had that i've been in a loving relationship with has been like oh no what's wrong and like like immediately like if you're a good person immediately you want to stop because you Mm -hmm. want to know why your partner is hurt Mm -hmm. yeah but to the point where i think this message is so ingrained that to the point where when i was younger i was having sex i didn't even think that i could say hey i want this to stop right now i'm not having a good time yeah or hey i have a leg cramp or whatever (laughs) yeah i mean i don't think i ever had a leg cramp during sex but i certainly had a like i'm not enjoying this at all i wish it was over yeah and and i didn't voice that um because i got that message yeah you know yeah it's it's, they want you to have that message yeah they do yeah they do the only oh. thing that matters is a man's orgasm. Oh, and the woman's gross, just like kind of incidental. So, um, so yeah, while I'm not like carrying around trauma from those earlier experiences in my sexual history, you know, I could have been, been having better sex earlier in my life if I yeah. had known that I could say, hey, stop, this isn't working for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it sucks. Yeah. Before I was like age, I want to say like 27. <laughs> no, for real. Yeah. Oh, poor baby Becca. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. the thank. Thank you to the kink community for like teaching me these principles because I I don't know that people get it otherwise. Yeah. Um. No, that's true. Yeah. yeah and thank you to my Oberlin education. <laughs> like, let's teach all the vanillas about safe words. Uh, that... Thank you, Oberlin. Props. Oberlin wins at this game. MIT was like, I remember having like an orientation program that was like, rape is bad and here's why. There was nothing about female pleasure involved with that Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was also like in my first week of being in college in a new city with a new group of people. I was like not super receptive to any in any messaging that was not like here's where you need to be to get to your classes on time we had to watch a play (sighs) it is about these these two college students who have consensual sex and then they have less than consensual sex and the girl gets raped but like the dude doesn't even know he raped her it's not like a but it's, it's not rape apologists but it's designed to help everyone realize that they need to be having these conversations mm-hmm. like the dude who rapes her is portrayed as uh somewhat sympathetic so that the oberlin dudes in the audience would be like oh shit i don't want to be like him well yeah i mean with this this is super real too i think that there are a lot of men in the world who don't want to be committing consent violations, but they're right. just doing it because they've been programmed to do it. Yes. Um, Hashtag still talking about Star Trek. <laughs> still talking about Star Trek. And if any listeners can think of any episodes that we missed on mm. this topic, write to us. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah. Um, thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for listening once again. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Next week on Interjectional. Much ado about Nazis. We discuss original series episode Patterns of Force, Voyager's The Killing Game, and Enterprise episode Stormfront. Intertractional is the production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalisi and Becca Matola Barnes. Original music by Danny Kavka, production advice by Danny Kavka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and with other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes. If you like this podcast, help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes. It really makes a big difference.